Rock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXPG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. Come fall, come cold season, I bet they're going to try to get us to wear masks again. Come cold and flu season, mark my words. Anyway, I had a great weekend. Thanks for asking. I got some sun. I did some swimming. I went out to a restaurant. Not to brag. I'm not, I'm not bragging. <laughs> I ate inside and I never wore a mask. It was awesome. But I wish the staff at restaurants would stop wearing masks. If the waitress is cute, I want to see her. And beautiful women should not be hidden. Your beauty is mostly your faces, your emotes, your smiles. It could make up for some of the junk that's in your trunk. Anyway, I want to remind you that I have a Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. I would appreciate it very much. Also, you can send me money through Cash App. Use the hashtag shockmonkeyradio. Right there, you can see above me. If you're watching on YouTube, the YouTube channel, you know, I make clips up on there. You know, like, share, and subscribe those clips. You can email, email me at madmanfxbgpr.com, and maybe I'll feature you in a mailbag or just answer questions. Believe me, ask me anything. Ask me anything. I will give you an answer. Anyway, so what percentage of the world population do you think you can beat up? Now, I don't know if you know many meatheads, guys who like work out or box or anything like that, but uh, it's kind of a game they play with themselves to stroke their own egos. Um, so a guy will say, they'll say, uh, at, my, at your physical peak, all right, say you're 20, you know, 26, 26 years old, you're in your peak physical form, you know, you were boxing heavy at that, that point in your life or doing judo and stuff like that. Uh, what percentage, and you, you know, you're always well, always well rested, always at your peak, and you can fight like every single person on earth if you need to. All right, what percentage of the world population can you beat up? And so it's very easy to come up with numbers. It's like, okay, let's take all the, all the super old people, all the kids like under, say, 15 years old. All right, that could be a threat. You know you could beat all of them. All the people like over like 55, 60 maybe. You know you could beat all of them. So already you're up to like, okay, I know I could beat up 30% of the population. Then you say, you could say something misogynistic. Like, uh, I, okay, I could beat 100% of all the females on earth. All right. And then all of a sudden they're up to like 60, 70%, you know, but I mean, I would say, you know, a lot of guys would be reasonable and say, I say I could beat up like 85% of all women on earth. All right. And they, they just keep adding these numbers, like making guesstimations until they get somewhere like 90s and 90% of the human population that they can beat up. And, you know, anyone who's left-handed, I know I can whoop their ass, you know, and they just keep adding to this number to stroke their ego. And I just, I, I find that to be a pointless exercise. Me, I prefer to think of the fact that I could probably kick the shit out of Hitler. You put me in a room, one-on-one, -on -one, at my physical peak with Adolf Hitler, I know I could probably beat the piss out of him. And I bet there's a large majority of the uh, population of Earth that could do that. It just really depends on how much methamphetamines and chocolate the son of a bitch had. You know? But any of us at our physical peak could probably kick the crap out of Hitler, which makes it what he did, like, all that more... <laughs> <laughs> uh, crazy because it's like nobody just like just manhandled him one good time. Okay, I'll stop. I'll be nice to people. 
<laughs> and there one one big burly Jewish kid to shove Adolf Hitler around as a kid, <laughs> or maybe that's how he got to this anyway. But that's the point. I think it's better to think of like like uh, historical figures. Like you think you could have taken Churchill. Like I don't know Churchill. Churchill was like a war hero. Okay, <laughs> and so uh, and I, I bet that bulldog could scrap. You know, and so I think that I probably couldn't take Churchill. And I, when I start thinking about like uh, presidents, I can't think of one president I would want. I would FDR, and there's and that's more of a personal thing. It's like he's like the worst president ever, and so and I know I could beat him, but it, you kind of feel guilty. The guy in a wheelchair is like, or the fact that I would have to say I would prefer to fight the wheelchair version <laughs> of FDR. <laughs> It's like, then you get in the conversation, it's like FDR at his peak, you know. <laughs> and I think I'd lose to FDR at his peak, you know. <laughs> and so that, I think that's kind of a, I think that's more of a fun exercise than, you know, just, you know, what percentage of the world. Like, you're going to beat up everybody? No. You know, if, I'm, if I got to fight a president, there's no way I'm going to fight Obama. I could probably take Trump. I could probably take George Bush, you know. But this is not, you know, not at their peak, you know. <laughs> so it's it's kind of fun. But then you can think about different guys, like like John Wayne and Gacy. You know, you could I, I probably could kick the crap out of that guy. You know, David Koresh. Oh, that guy needed an ass whooping. He needed an ass whooping. You know, can't agree with the FBI on how they went about it, but somebody should have given him an ass whooping. <laughs> Same with those Columbine kids. Yeah. I think there's there are people that need more ass whoopings. <laughs> anyway, uh, as a kind of extension on that, you ever wish you could go back in time and bully yourself? Like if you had a time machine and you knew the moment when you'd be crying your eyes out over some freshman crush who said something mean to you or some nonsense, you could jump out of the closet and punch yourself in the past it, your past self in the balls and shout, enjoy that, that pain, pussy, because it's nothing compared to the relationships you'll have five to ten years from now. Man up and quit drying your tears on your teddy bear. You're 14, damn it. That ball pain you're feeling, that's what a real broken heart feels like, and it lasts you the rest of your life. Yes, they captured it, bro. Owner of a lonely heart, kid. And no alcohol until you join the Navy. Trust me, you'll be better off. And then you jump back into your time portal like Rich, Rick Sanchez and live out the rest of your mundane existence in the life that you came from while that one reality you bullied yourself in reaps all the benefits. Why bother with time travel is what I'm getting at. I mean, it's like cloning yourself thinking that you're going to live forever. Yeah, forever is a infinity. Kind of a tough thing to wrap your head around, ain't it? Oh, this might be a quick show today. I can't wait for Elliot Page to start going through menopause. I can't wait for all these transgender females to start going through their midlife crisis. They start balding and getting beer bellies, wanting to drive a sports car. I'm pretty sure that every dude who ever wanted to dress up or theoretically be a woman, quote unquote, want to be beautiful women. No one wants to dress up as an old lady. Oh, wait. Damn you, Monty Python. Damn you. They like doing that. And what's, hey, what's up with all these cross-dressing Brits? Eddie Izzard, Monty Python, you know how Queen did it in, I, in the I, I Want to Break Free video, but only Brian May and jo John Deacon dressed up as old ladies. 
can you believe that there are Queen fans who still didn't think Freddie was gay after that video came out? So I scored real high on Ricky Nintendo. And Ricky Nintendo, I'm all over the place. I'm a madman. Ricky Nintendo is in what we call uh, boot camp firing range. We, would, we didn't fire live, live uh, M16s in boot camp. It was a uh, deactivated M16 with like a laser system in it and a little target tracking thing. And I was a sharpshooter. You know, I was, a, I was in the expert rating, you know, because it's just pointed at the target, click, 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 click. Some guys were having a hard time playing that Ricky Nintendo. And Ricky's, you know, as you know, or may or may not know, is slang for recruit, <laughs> recruit Nintendo. And so, and uh, yeah, so I was really good at that. But the Navy didn't really play with guns the way that the Army or the Marines do. See, I went in as a radioman and didn't ever use a real gun ever until I went to a range and fire guns on my own time. I felt like Batman or General Zod. I needed to understand the weapons of war. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't be in the Navy and not know how to do this. How does a gun work? I don't, you don't want to be in the Navy and say you died because you couldn't figure out how to work a gun. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, now, I don't want to talk bad about the Navy because it was the best branch for me to join, but I felt like I could have excelled at, at marksmanship if I had joined the Army or Marine Corps. And the only reason I say that is because Engine 882, my Army friend who served in Iraq, uh, came by one day, and we're all coking and joking and playing Call of Duty, and I was straight up poning noobs with a heavy machine gun, a, a Vietnam-era M60, if memory serves, and he said I was surgical with it. Best compliment I ever got when it comes to Call of Duty. And he's saying that he would want to make me the first squad leader of a weapons team or something. I don't know. But it was the first time I thought the Army would be smart enough to put marksmen on their heavy weapons. <laughs> I guess they learn more about, I guess they learn more than just digging holes and pooping in the freshest holes. I mean, I love you Army ground pounders. I'm just busting your balls. Joint operations is like 40% of my time when I was in the Navy. You know, I've done shots with Air Force majors. German NATO officers, and pervy Finnish spies. I've laughed at Army guys get seasick as Navy chiefs get all shark-eyed like a doll's eye. And countless Marines who have bought me beers. It's the same fight, different methods, but we're all family. Rock, flag, and eagle! So Dread is probably the best comic book movie I've ever, I've ever seen. I've watched it three times this week, <laughs> and I've seen it like three times before. And it, I mean, I really do think it's going to serve, this, uh, stand the test of time in terms of like best comic book adapt adaptation movies. Because I mean, if even going all the way back to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, you know, going all the way back to there, there were issues I had with most of the Marvel movies from that era, the beginning of era to to I got a whole bunch more complaints as the era came to an end. I want to call it like the golden age of Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you will. And so I have issues with a ton of those, ton of those movies, lots of them, most of them. But when it comes to Judge Dredd, I think that there is, n there is no better movie that accurately depicts the, the very interesting world that Judge Dredd lives in. Because the story of Judge Dredd is more than just this one judge, Judge Dredd. All right? It's the world they live in, this post-apocalyptic world. You know, and I mean, they they talk about these numbers it's like we get, you know, uh, 500 million calls a day and we can only respond to six percent of them. 
That's insane. And he said, even in the beginning, it's like people are scared of the gun. They're scared of the gang, you know, because that's how little law enforcement there is in this kind of population. It's all the tech. It's all the mutants. It's, it's, it's the whole world that they live in. And this is the way their law enforcement has evolved. And that's kind of what is interesting about the Judge Shred character in comic book in, in many ways. So, I mean, when it comes to, uh, like, law enforcement, the, the idea of giving basically cops, you know, uh, jury and execute, judge, jury, and executioner roles, you know, in law enforcement, you know, and it can make you think, it's like, holy cow, you know, our system is way better compared to this alternate reality <laughs> law enforcement. And even despite that, the movie and the comic book explains that, yeah, the judges may be bad, but the crime is worse. And I think that with the Mama clan in the Dread movie, I think they showed is like how little they cared for the civilians and other people around them, you know, non-combatants and so forth. It's like they really believed they ruled the streets. But two judges could come in and cause them a hell of a time, you know. And I think that that's, what, that's what's great and a good story. It seems like a losing fight, obviously, but Judge, you know, Judge Dredd's been around for... <laughs> Uh, a while he's just one of these uh classic veteran cop kind of kind of st- uh archetypes that's why people get mad when he takes off the helmet because it's like no 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 let him be anonymous let him i mean it's just like the stormtrooper taking off a, their helmet it kind of ruins it you know unless you know Luke Skywalker's in it you know it's i don't know <clears throat> anyway so i think that's the best movie ever high high recommendations for that And like I said, it's probably going to be a short show, so let's go ahead and get into the news worth knowing. All right, Kristen Cinema, Dems hypocritical for trying to end filibuster after using it just last year. Senator Kristen Cinema Monday doubled down on her defense of the Senate legislative filibuster, declaring in the Washington Post op-ed that it 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 is important to stop repeated radical reversals of federal law. Cinema, a Democrat from Arizona, and Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, have been two of the most vocal Democrats in the chamber, defending the 60-vote threshold for legislation, offering, often attracting the ire of their more liberal colleagues. And Cinema took a page from Manchin's playbook Monday by laying out her case for the Senate's controversial minority protection in an opinion piece. <clears throat> Quote, to those, to those who want to eliminate the legislative filibuster, uh, to pass the For the People Act, voting rights legislation I support and I have co-sponsored, I would ask, would it be good for our country if we did only to see the legislation rescinded a few years from now and replaced by a nationwide voter ID law and, or restrictions on voting by mail in federal elections over the objections of the minority? Cinema wrote in the Post. That's the Washington Post. Uh, she went on to say, the question is less about the immediate results of any of the any of these Democratic or Republican goals, she continued, it is the likelihood of repeated radical reversals in federal policy, cementing uncertainty, deepening divisions, and furthering, further eroding Americans' confidence in our government. The majority of the Democrat Senate signed a two, uh, 2017 letter led by Ses- uh, Senator Susan Collins from Maine, Republican from Maine, and Chris Coons, for Democrat from Delaware, asking Senate leaders to preserve the filibuster during the Trump presidency. But as the 2020 election approached, and especially since President Biden... Uh, was sworn in earlier this year. Many Democrats renounced that, or at least distanced themselves from that stance, including Coons. 
Now, Manchin and Cinema are the only two staunch filibuster defenders among the Senate Democrats, with a few other moderates and institutionalists who quietly support them. Cinema notes in her op-ed that Democrats have often used the filibuster to stop Republican-supported legislation during the President Trump's tenure, when Republicans controlled the Senate. Quote, once in a majority, this is tempting to believe that you want to stay, that you will stay in the majority. But a Democratic Senate minor, uh, minority used a 60-vote threshold uh, just last year to filibuster a police reform propo- proposal and the COVID relief bill that many Democrats viewed as inadequate, Cinema wrote. Those filibusters were mounted not, uh, not as attempts to block progress, but to force continued negotiations towards better solutions. Progressive Democrats, meanwhile, argue that the filibuster is racist. <laughs> I'm sorry. And saying it was necessary for Democrats to pass an agenda they deemed critical to the country. It's the first thing they say. If, if they don't like it, it's racist. Uh, and An archaic Senate, Senate rule cannot get in the way of protecting our democracy. Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from Minnesota, tweeted over the weekend <clears throat> before the cinema op-ed. Klobuchar was notably, uh, notably one of the Democrats who supported the filibuster in 2017 when Republicans were in power. Uh uh, filibuster supporters would be like, we should let Republicans destroy democracy now because at some indeterminate time in the future, they, might, they may try again. Representative Mondaire Jones, Democrat from New York, who is one of the loudest supporters of getting rid of the filibuster in Congress, tweeted Monday. Cinema and Manchin's comment, uh, commitment to the filibuster throws a wrench in the plans of the Democrats who'd hope that the GOP opposition to S-1 and other Democratic-backed legislations of the Senate will soon vote and would spur on moderates to shun the filibuster and pass all of Biden's expansive agenda via simple majority. Instead, S-1, an elections bill that will massively expand the role of federal government and how states run their elections, will not likely get the support of all 50 Democrats. Majority leader Chuck Schumer from Democrat New York brings it to a closure vote Monday. Manchin, the only Democrat not to sponsor S-1, he says he won't vote for it. So here's what I have to say to all this. God bless reasonable Democrats, you don't have, we don't have to agree on everything, but you have to understand that it's important, you know, and maybe, maybe, uh, cinema and mansion, they, they have the foresight to see if I, if I want to keep my job, I see that there's a red wave that's coming. Okay. <laughs> they can sense it. They, they know that a lot of people are pissed off about how like Biden went at G7, you know, making America look weak, you know? You know, Hillary Clinton would have been tougher on Putin, you know, in the photo op. You know what I mean? Anyway, <clears throat> God bless these reasonable Democrats who understand that a filibuster is is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'd rather my government, if it has to be as big as it is, I'd rather be up there like arguing with each other all day and night and getting nothing done. Government doesn't have to always pass laws to be a good government, to be a operational, functional government. Just sit around, do, twiddling your thumbs for all I care. <laughs> I wish I could send 435 of you home for good. But the senators, you know, that's where, you know, the laws, I don't, I'm just a bill, you know, it's how, law, how things become law, you know. And the Senate has, like, uh, the final say which I think that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, as Bernie Sanders might say. Now let's go to this next story. Left aims to defeat another pipeline, but Native American business leaders defend construction. <clears throat> Matt Gordon, vice president of his family's construction company in Monoman, Minnesota, and a member of the White, 
White Earth Nation tribe was troubled with environmental protesters, some claiming to speak for Native Americans, vandalized his company's equipment. Gordon Construction is among the Native-owned companies that are contracting with the Canadian energy firm Enbridge on the construction of Line 3, a pipeline carrying oil from Canada into the United States. But climate activists, emboldened uh, by stopping the Keystone XL pipeline, have made Line 3 their new target. Earlier this month, hundreds of activists descended upon a construction site and many of them vandalized contractor equipment, broke into construction trailers, damaged environmental safeguards intended to control erosion, and attempted to trap workers while occupying the site, according to Enbridge. Quote, I am a contractor for ex- for excavation, and all of my equipment on site was vandalized, Matt Gordon told Fox News. For the most part, a majority of the people are for the pipeline. Everyone enjoys gasoline and plastic products. Well, I don't know if we enjoy it. And if you like driving fast in your car with the windows down on a nice summer day. Yeah, I guess I would enjoy it. Anyway, he went on to say, the opponents are shielding themselves with Native Americans. Most of the protesters were white. Line 3 has brought back millions of dollars uh, to the reservations. Uh, More than 500 Native Americans are part of Line 3 workforce and a project that would benefit Native American-owned small businesses in the region with a total of uh, 5,200 construction jobs, according to Enbridge. On June 8th, after the protest, vandalism and property damage, Gordon joined five other Native business leaders representing their firms and the tribes of Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, the Bozy Forte Band of Chippewa, and the Leech Lake Band of Ohobi, forgive me, and the White, Na- White Earth Nation. You can only get away with that if you're a Native American. <laughs> with a name like that, sorry. Uh, quote, this is, this is not only a hardship for our workers, it has created additional challenges for our companies, the Native American business leader said in the, letter, in the letter. Protests that disrupt work, property damage, or threaten our employees while claiming to be on behalf of our Native people is creating an additional tension and consequences within our tribal communities. They also intentionally create a false narrative that there is no Native American support for this project and the economic impacts and opportunities it brings to, pe- to our people. Native American lawyer Tara Huska, member of the Kauchiching First Nation, forgive me, has been the leader of the anti-Line 3 protest for seven years, according to the Washington Post. Huska of International Falls, uh, Minnesota, is a former advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Celebrities Jane Fonda, Catherine Keener, joined Huska on June 7th, March. She reportedly told the crowd to protect the sacred and oppose the pipeline. Uh, Quote, for our daughters, our sons, for the animals, for the water. Anyway, so the point is, is that, you know, uh, this guy came out and said, you know, all these people who are, who are protesting this, claiming to fight on behalf of Native Americans are a bunch of dumbass white kids, you know? And I think a lot of us know that. A lot of us know that. You know, it's a bunch of white kids who've, grown, who've been growing up, going through like high school and stuff like that in college, being told you're, they're white, they're the oppressors and stuff like that, to the point that they're repeating it themselves, you know? They're, they're in such anger because they have to hate themselves and they have to become so, like, aggressively, you know, anti-racist in many ways. You know, this is kind of, this is kind of damage you do when you, you know, <laughs> let a bunch of leftists teach kids all this, you know, critical race theory, theory nonsense. And, you know, I think, it, I think it does matter that, you know, these uh, Native Americans, you know, 
let them complain about it. You know, let them complain about it. Don't fight on behalf of somebody else, you know, unless there's like, like f- physical violence. Then protect your fellow man. Try to get to the bottom of it. Call the police or whatever. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to this next story. Seattle Pride organizers apologize after raising issue with event charging white people a reparations fee. Anyway, so two Pride Month uh, organizers in Seattle are now apologizing to the local community after writing a letter to the city taking issue with a separate upcoming events plans to charge $10 to to $50 reparations fee for white people, calling it reverse discrimination. Wow, they're, they're all kinds of messed up, aren't they? Anyway, the uproar surrounding the Charlotte Lefebvre, forgive me, and Philip Lipson, the director of the Capitol Hill Pride, began late last week after the Seattle Human Rights Commission posted on Twitter uh, the letter that they had sent. Quote, it has come to our our attention that the event called Take Black Pride, they spelled black B-L, and the L is parenthetical, Act Pride, Take Back Pride, but, you know, just shove an L in there. God, they are not even creative. All right, take Black Pride at the Jimi Hendrix Public Park, June 26th, is charging whites-only admission as reparations, the pair wrote. Asking the city to review the admissions policy, uh, quote, we, could, we consider this reverse discrimination in its worst form, and we feel like we, are, we, feel we are being attacked for not supporting due to disparaging and hostile emails. We will never charge a mission over the color of a person's skin, and we resent being attacked before standing in those values, they add. The Taking Black Pride event, which will, feature, uh, which will feature live performances, dancing, and other activities, says on its Facebook page, everyone is free to attend. However, this is a black and brown, queer, trans-centered, prioritized, valued event. Golly. They can't just let race go. All that nonsense, all that identitarian stuff, go. Doesn't matter. Uh, quote, white allies and accomplices are welcome to attend, but it will, will be charged a 10 to $50 reparations fee that will be used to keep this event free of cost for black and brown trans and queer community, it adds. In response to Lefebvre and Lipson, Seattle, the Seattle Human Rights Commission, which describes itself as 22 representatives, representative resi- residents of Seattle appointed to serve an advisory capacity to the Mayor, City Council, Seattle Office of Civil Rights, and other Seattle City Departments, said, quote, the unique nature of your situation does not, in fact, violate any of your human rights, as stated by the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which is chartered by, uh, by which our, is the charter by which our commission operates. Quote, black, trans, and queer peoples are among the most mar- marginalized and persecuted peoples within the LGBTQIA2S plus community. Golly. They often face shame, not only from cis heteronormative community, but within the queer community as lar- in, at large as well. Golly. In making the event free for a black queer community, the organizers of this event are extending a courtesy so, re- so rarely extended by providing a free and safe space to express joy, share stories, and be in a community. Cheapers, cheapers, cheapers. I'm going to stop reading this story. Because it's so silly. It's like they're, the, you know, they get called out on straight up. There's no such thing as reverse discrimination. It's just discrimination, okay? But as soon as they get checked by, you know, everyone who's reasonable, and they're like, hey, that's wrong. That's discrimination. 
they're still all of a sudden start spinning back up in their heads. It's like, well, we've got to say something about how it's for black queer people because the black queer people helped put it together. You know, it's like, why are you constantly thinking about race and sexuality? Don't you think about anything else? And uh, yeah, EK said it. It's like, that's their whole personality. Their whole personality is who they want to fuck <laughs> and who, what pronouns they want you to use today when referring to you. Would you like a piece of cake? Actually, I use they, them pronouns. Fuck you. You're not getting any cake. Anyway, this next story. Jocks are so dumb in my comment. California High School Basketball Championship ends in fury after tortillas thrown at opponents. You're not going to believe this. A hard-fought Southern Californian High School Basketball Championship game Saturday escalated into a racist incident after the game as tortillas were thrown onto the court. Coronado High School defeated uh, Orange Glen High School 60-57 to in overtime. Video posted to social media showed coaches from both high schools getting into an altercation when tortillas were thrown at players from Orange Glen, according to the San Diego Union-Tribune. Orange Glen High School is predominantly Latin American, so now you get it right, located at, uh, Latin American school located in Escondido. Escondido. Uh, Coronado police said that they were investigating the incident. Police said that they identified the man who had the tortillas at the game and he was not a student, according to Fox 5 San Diego. Lazardo Reynoso, an assistant coach at Orange Glen, told the station the team was shaken up over the incident. Quote, I thought it was like a pita bread or something. It just started coming towards us and I was like, what the heck? And more and more starts coming towards us and my wife goes, oh my God, they're throwing tortillas, Reynoso said. Quote, I know a lot of guys on our team were very offended and very hurt. Me, myself, I'm 100% Mexican-American. Both my parents are from Mexico, and I took that really tough. The Coronado Unified School District apologized to Orange Glen in a letter, according to Fox 5 San Diego. We fully condemn the racism, classism, and colorism. One adjective describes it, dude. Which fueled the actions of the perpetrators, the letter read. Lorena Gonzalez, a member of the California uh, Latino Legislative Caucus, called on Calif California Interscholastic Federation, the CIF, to lay the hammer on Coronado. Bottom, quote, bottom line, uh, Coronado High School should be sanctioned by CIF or stripped of their citizenship championship. They should have universal condemnation for this activity. Parents in San Diego County know that the racist taunts against the Latino athletes are too commonplace. It's time to stop it, Gonzalez tweeted Sunday. If you think... This is a teaching moment. This is a quote. If you think this is a teaching moment, then you have to uh, then have the lesson include real consequences for the near adults. The CIF said it would investigate and take appropriate next steps, according to the paper. So it, it's shocking. It really is. But I, I have to tell you, like, athletes are dumb. You know, I'm, I, I'm not trying. I know there's some smart athletes out there, so don't kick my ass after the show. All right. But, you know, there's. They're dumb and they do stupid stuff like this, you know, especially when you're a teenager. There's a high school kids, especially when you're a teenager. You know what words by the time. Yeah. By the time you're 13 or 14 as a boy, you probably know every single word that you uh, people don't want to hear said. All right. 
You know them all. And you and I mean it's just it doesn't necessarily make you a racist, but it, it or uh, you know, but I mean you you do stupid stuff, especially when you're a teenager. I don't think this should follow this guy around for the rest of his life, to, you know, for doing a racist stunt like this. But I mean, let's be honest. Let's call out real racism when it happens. When it happens, and just like the lady said, you know, if it is a teaching moment, let's you know, let's have some consequences for this kind of behavior. Because this is actual racism taking place. Y'all been looking for it all over the place, but whenever, you know, it's between, you know, two minorities, you don't know who to pick. You don't know whose side you're supposed to be on. But if there's a white person involved, it's like, you know whose side to be against. Anyway, jocks are dumb. That's the lesson of the story. What if you find some Terry's on your airplane? We got some Terry's up in this bitch. Travelers caught with throwing stars and other bladed weapons at Boston Logan Airport. <laughs> throwing stars aren't meant for the friendly skies. Sometimes it can be a bit confusing figuring out whether an item is okay to bring on a plane or whether it needs to be checked in a bag, put in a checked bag. According to the TSA, some travelers in Boston attempted to bring a, a variety of sharp, sharp weapons on a plane, including at least one throwing star. The TSA New England Twitter account shared images of the confiscated items, which also includes a variety of knives. The tweet doesn't mention whether or not any of these items all came for one group of travelers or not. <laughs> now I want to know the destination of the flight. <laughs> if any of those guys bought, had to buy an extra seat because of their size. The tweet states, uh, let's get straight to the point. These items are not allowed in any carry-on bag. Some passengers found out this weekend and TSA officers at Boston Logan Airport detected these sharp objects. Sheath these items and put them in your checked bag, please. These are not the only unusual weapons recently discovered by TSA officers. I mean, they find them all the time. Uh, authorities arrested a man at Newark Liberty International Airport when he was caught attempting to sneak past gun security. Sneak a gun past security, NewJersey.com, NJ.com reports. According to the news outlet, the small weapon was packed in a case within the man's suitcase, and was reportedly designed to look like a belt buckle. Unfortunately, it was discovered that the gun was functional. The man reportedly claimed that he had forgotten that he had packed the item in his luggage. In a statement obtained by NJ.com, TSA Federal Security Director for New Jersey Thomas Carter said, Claiming to forget that you have a gun with you is inexcusable. If you own a gun, you need to know where it is at all times. Each of these individuals now faces a stiff federal uh, financial penalty, and that could cost them thousands of dollars. Look, I know what it's like to always have a weapon on you, okay? You forget you have it on on you, okay? (laughs) And so uh, I I get it. If you're you're a kind of guy who carries a gun around all the time, it's easy to forget. I understand that, but seriously— you need to have the discipline to know it's like, okay, I need to take this. You know, oh, I can just throw it in my carry-on real quick. No, dude. No. And it's funny because, you know, it's like people trying to sneak blades and stuff on there. I think it's those, it's like that that thing from uh Key and Peel with those two guys on the airplane. It's like if these Terry start something, <laughs> they're just these idiots. Gangster guys that just wanted to kill some bad guys, get some just kills in their life, you know, or something like that. And I think that's, I think, you know, plus it's kind of challenging people 
Because if this is how many they catch, imagine how many they don't. Because, I mean, it could be just like a, a challenge that some, some dudes like to do themselves. Some people like to fantasize, like, what percentage of the earth they can beat up. And some guys like to try to sneak a knife past TSA security. You know, don't do that. Don't take weapons on planes. All you're doing is slowing everybody down. Everyone wants just to get, get through the airport process, get through the flight process, and go on about their business. No one wants to be there. Have you seen a TSA agent lately? <laughs> Nobody wants to be there. All right, this is our last story. We're going to call it an early night. A Georgia waitress praised after pulling the driver from a burning car. A Georgia wait- waitress is being hailed a hero after pulling a woman from a burning car on the side of the highway in the middle of the night. Keelan Harper was on her way home from her shift at Rooster's Drive uh, in last Thursday, uh, in last, oh, Rooster's Drive in last Thursday when she saw something on the side of Highway 213 near Mansfield. It was around 9.30 p.m. That's not the middle of the night. They lied to us in that first sentence. Instead of just calling 911 and continuing on home to see her 14, 14-month-old daughter, Harper pulled over to see what was going on. It was instinctual, Harper told Fox News. Um, quote, from far away, it looked like someone had thrown something out in the bushes that caught on fire, she said. I didn't know it until I didn't know it was a car until I stopped. By the time Harper got to the car, in f- the front of the car was already engulfed in flames and smoke had begun seeping through the vents in the car, she said. Ooh, not much time. Although approaching the fiery cra- ca- crash was scary, Harper feared that if she didn't stop, nobody was going to. She pulled back the airbags, which exploded in the car to see if there was anyone inside. That's when she found Ashley Strawn. She immediately jumped into action of fear of Strawn was just going to die, quote-unquote, was just going to die. Uh, she went on to say, it was just the instinct, you know, maybe a motherly instinct, but maybe it's just the human instinct to help, Harper said. Yeah, you're right there at the end. Strawn's, uh, quote, whole body was laying over to the side and her legs were still trapped underneath, Harper said. There was a huge gash in her leg. Oh, see, I would have barfed. <laughs> there was a huge gash on her leg where the bone, quote, bone was completely showing. Oh, definitely would have barfed. And she was bleeding really, really bad on her head, Harper recalled. It was really a blessing that she was there when she was, a fellow Roosters Drive-In employee, Caroline Alexander, told Fox News. More importantly, she didn't do it for anything other than the fact that if it were her daughter, she would want somebody to be there for her, Alexander added. Harper ran to the passenger side, grabbed underneath Strawn's arms, and began to pull, knowing full well that the fire was getting progressively worse. I was telling her, you know, the car's about to blow. We're going to have to get out of here now, Harper said. Without any help, Harper was able to pull Strawn out of the car and held her in her arms until authorities arrived. Uh, I would have left you on the side of the road. I wouldn't sit there and hold you the whole time. All right, that's just me. Uh, quote, I was propped up on some kind of tree almost next to the car, and I had her in between my legs, and I just told her it was going to be okay, Harper said. Uh, although Strawn is still recovering in the hospital, she made it a point to send Harper a big thank you right from her hospital bill. Bed. Thank you for saving my life. I can't wait to meet you, Strawn said in a short video clip. Yeah, it's like, nah, I don't remember that chick at all. <laughs> I don't remember her at all. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a motherly instinct. It's, it's this thing called adrenaline in your endocrine system, in your body. It's really, it's really interesting chemical. But you see something scary, like you see somebody inside a burning car. 
you boom, your body's like you're strong, you're you're perceiving everything at such an incredible rate that time seems to slow down for you. It's amazing. It's amazing adrenaline. And that's, you know, that was the strength and determination. But you know what? Uh, I think this article is right. It's like a ton of people would have just kept, kept on going. She said, you know, she couldn't tell it was a car until she got up to it. So, I mean, or maybe at that point you're like, oh, it's just a fire. I can handle a fire. It's like, oh, no, there's a person involved. Either way, you know, good for her. You know, and if you're if you're a young girl working at a, you know, <laughs> a drive-in, Rooster's drive-in, you know, why would you think that you should get involved in anything? And it could be the fact that she's a mother. It could be that fact that, hey, you know, I'm in society. I would like society to continue to be awesome. And so um, maybe I should help my fellow man when presented with the opportunity. Now, I know I said, uh, what was it, last week? About how, you know, it's like, we can do superhuman things. It's like, but, you know, uh, but the things that we can do as a team can, can be amazing. However, as individuals, we also have the magic of the, uh, the adrenal glands and, <laughs> and, and the will to participate in a life, life or death situation in order, in, on behalf of the humanity. On behalf of humanity. Good for you, young lady. I uh, bet you had a great dad who raised you right anyway yeah short show today and i want to remind you again to go over to patreon.com slash shock monkey radio become a patron maybe i'll write more for you next week or you can write me at madman at fxbgpr.com and we can talk about stuff you want to talk about if i'm so friggin boring all right, all right calm down calm down i also have a cash app use cash tag shock monkey radio send me some money that way you can also send me a note that way if you prefer um, yeah, but mostly go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio, become a patron. I would appreciate it. Go to my YouTube channel, shockmonkeyradio on YouTube, and like, share, and subscribe my videos. Uh, share them with your friends. Anyway, yeah, I also have books available on amazon.com for a digital download. Search for the author Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. Look for the Exit 13 books, The Ravings of a Madman, and The Bunny Years, a memoir. Yep, so this has been Shock Monkey Radio. I'm the Madman, and I love you.